the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Third Window Films podcast. Uh, my name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. <laughs> hey Adam. <laughs> and yeah, this is it. This is us. We, uh, we, we're here. This is a celebration of Third Window Films uh, from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam. <laughs> The only one. I say Adam from Third Window Films as if there are other people, but it is just I. <laughs> it's just you in your ivory tower, just counting all your big bugs. <laughs> yeah, none of that. My my uh, my very small apartment uh, with, with my children's toys in the background, if you could see this video. Yeah, we were just talking off mic, weren't we, saying, um, you know, don't move too quickly because you might hit one of the toys and it will start off. When... <laughs> yeah, so if, if it stops or if you hear some nursery rhyme playing in the background, I apologize. I love it. It's good to see you, Adam. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this show. I'm sure, like, if anyone's listening to this first episode, then they're probably already a fan of you anyway, right? You've got to assume. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, like I said, this is going to be a celebration of everything that you've produced, released, um, you know, all the experiences you've had over the years of, of doing these films. So um, I guess the best place to start all this would be kind of like to to learn a bit about you and and what third window films is as a company yeah basically i mean i'm a fan like yourself of of, of cinema and like yourself wondering why so many films aren't getting out there and and obviously i was from uh started off before it was so easy to just find any, any information on the internet and just you know with with a click of a button and it was just uh, you know the, the concept of distribution itself was changed a lot nowadays. Um, but when I started, which was, uh, I started myself with Third Window Films in 2005. But before then, I was um, working at, uh, at Tartan Films, who were the, as you and I know, started the Asia Extreme boom in, in, was, in England. That was my jam. That was, yeah, everything to me back in the day. There was those DVDs. They, they were great. I mean, and we would pay... 20 pounds for a dvd with uh, burnt in subtitles <laughs> and and <laughs> awful picture quality and no extras but it was like it, it was the only thing that, that you could see you know when you're when you're trying to find asian cinema i still collect them now and you know more often than not i'll find them for like one pound in a charity shop or you could i like i bought one the other day from a library and it was about two pound fifty um you know, just uh, yeah, I I'm a collector at heart, so I love I love like I don't have the space for them, but yeah, I love I love getting all that physical media. Yeah, if you don't, because if you think, uh, I mean, the, Tartan obviously were a bigger company, but uh, there are still films for, that were only ever released on DVD, and and if you want to watch that film, you know, I mean, bring to the concept of distribution and third window films itself is like, you know, in this world we live in, if something is not on Netflix, or if it is, it may not be on Netflix in a month, or it may not be on somewhere else. And owning the physical format is the only way you'll be able to keep that film alive. You That's know, so uh, true. I mean, yeah, so I still do it now. I'll tweet that I'm, you know, I do a lot of like now watching tweets, you know, to let people know what I'm about to watch or what I'm watching. And so many of them go, where are you streaming this? And I have to go, uh, I, I'm not actually, I've put a physical disc into my uh, Blu-ray player. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, piracy obviously has made almost everything streamable in one way or another. But at the same time, 
what if your internet goes down or, or what if the internet goes down i mean like as we all know with i mean speaking uh here on october the 7th but a few days ago facebook went down uh for, for, for a long time and you never know what might happen in in the future so the concept of distribution and physical distribution and making dvds blu-rays or any other physical format is for the future and it, yeah. it's uh it's it's very important uh and that's why I started it. And that's why I wanted to show all these films that were, obviously, I said I, I came from working from Tartan. We both love Tartan, but Tartan were pigeonholing Asian cinema into extreme. Mm. And you only had so many decent extreme films, or if you're going to have such a niche genre of, of films, they, there are only so many that are any good. And after that, you end up releasing a lot of crap, which is what you know the last few years of, of <laughs> as you will remember that's what i'm collecting now basically the crap <laughs> well I, you know at the time when, when i was watching them myself uh there wasn't so much written about these films on the internet so you had to buy the dvd and then you would buy it and take it home and and we'd spend more than two pounds at the time and uh you go why have i bought this crap because mm. it's it's not a good film and i think once you're a big company and you need to keep the, the money rolling in you you want to buy things that are cheaper and just keep on selling them, you know, on good packaging or anything like that. And it's sort of a bit disheartening of, of, of the, the, the concept of, of a distributor and the concept of, you know, a brand, I guess, uh, uh, you know, so I got disillusioned, started Third Window Films to make a sort of more, uh, more a decent brand that I, that I thought would show all different sorts of Asian cinema from comedies to musicals to dramas and of course the horror but a mm -hmm. variety of films and also I wanted a brand that that connected to the audience and that I could also have the audience be connected to the audience in a way that that big companies like when I was at Tartan you know even if even personally myself and even nowadays as a company if I want to email a studio or, or even some of the companies that I work for I don't even get a response myself and and you know you and I met because you messaged me on, on Twitter and, and, <laughs> and I want to be connected to people like yourself who have that passion and enthusiasm and also knowledge that I may not have. So right. I think that connection is really important. And, and that's yeah one of the reasons why I started. Yeah, I mean, you are still one of a handful of people who I consider, you know, um, uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, like heroes of mine for what you're doing for the industry. Uh, who have actually like returned messages to me, you know, and I've sent out, you know, tens of maybe even hundreds, you know, because you do reach out to people when you do kind of maybe naively hope that they'll they'll respond. But yeah, more often than not, you don't. Well, it's 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 really important because, you know, you, you want to know what everyone likes. And, and obviously, yeah. I watch a lot of films and I go to a lot of places, but I'm only one person and that I'm basically trying to work as if people like me are on the other side so mm -hmm. as in people who really have the same sort of level of passion so people like yourself are very, and 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 people like you who have that sort of passion and enthusiasm for physical formats and for asian films you know it's 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 so important uh, to be connected to people and uh, yeah so uh, yeah like 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 yourself i i hardly get emails back from from when i say <laughs> i love companies, that because <laughs> yeah you like you you kind of work with arrow in the respect that they kind of publish the films that you distribute is that right yes i mean so obviously i because i'm so small if i were to i mean going back to the beginning you know i couldn't just go to 
Amazon and try to work with a big company like that, or even, you know, back in the days when it was more uh, retail stores like HMV and uh, Virgin mega stores and all that sort of stuff, you know, I can't as a small independent distributor say like, can you play, put my DVDs in your shop pretty please, you know, like <laughs> you need like a big company as a, as a, as a sort of way in. And mm-hmm. over the years, there's been many companies. There was uh, Metrodome for, 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 for many years, uh, who I think now have gone bankrupt. And there was um, World Cinema, who were a company that originally released Tartan's films. Right. Because okay. Tartan also had a company like Arrow that would physically distribute their, their titles. And, um, you know, over the years, things have changed. And, and about two years ago, I, I partnered with, with Arrow so that they would be that intermediate to first of all get my titles into places like Amazon and handle the the physical sales and also to be my intermediate for getting my discs manufactured at places like Sony because there aren't many people there aren't many companies around there that that um that actually manufacture Blu-rays nowadays and less so hmm. since you know if you remember there were the riots many years ago that that burnt down Sony's uh, warehouses in the UK so you know, you do really need like a big, a big company like Arrow to negotiate on your behalf. Amazing, because yeah, you're you're based out in Tokyo, right? But you distribute in the UK um, exclusively. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, partner. yeah, yeah, I do. Obviously, that I I would if I was living in England, I probably would would sell more stuff um, directly from my house, like I used to, uh, mm. just run into post office all the time. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, I I'm trying be- the living in japan and working out of japan allows me to find smaller titles and it allows me to work uh closer with district uh directors and producers and also producers myself so it's a sort of give and take uh about what i can and can't do 100 percent. and i mean we're going to get into that a lot more uh over the you know coming few months over the episodes but yeah some of the films you produce yourself um are just amazing i love yeah i love I love that you were kind of a fan that became then uh, a distributor, but then actually started producing films yourself. And, you know, who knows where it goes next? Maybe, you like, know, one day you'll be directing, you know? I, I don't know. But then again, I said I never wanted to get into the production itself, uh, and, and I did. So, yeah, who, who knows? But if you think about people like uh, who are in a similar frame of mind and have a similar passion, people like uh, Gareth Evans, the, the mm-hmm. director of The Raid, like he was just like a big fan like we are and on message boards and and just loving asian films and then ended up taking that love into making them and now obviously in all different aspects so i'm sure he's doing producing as well so i think he he has to be honest so you know that there's there is a way if you have uh, enough uh, obviously knowledge passion and enthusiasm to to do these things i love that that's amazing maybe you're next (laughs) nothing would make me happier but we'll see (laughs) Um, cool. Well, look, I was trying to think about, so you were saying how some films are only available on DVD. I think the first third window films, uh, release I ever got was Lee Chang Dong's Greenfish and it was on DVD and I still have it now. Um, and yeah, that's only available on, on that, isn't it? In the UK, I'm pretty sure. And that was the first, the first third window film release, actually. Uh, I think that was the first of... one you ever released as well. I believe so. Yeah, I think in terms of catalog number, I, it, there were three films released on one day, or two films oh. released on one day, as the first uh, couple or, or, or three releases, which was No Blood, No Tears, Greenfish, and um, I think Say Yes was the third one, if I remember correctly. I mean, it was a very long time ago, but but yes, Greenfish yeah. was one of which 
you know, this was way before Lee Cheng Dong mm. was was the big name he is now, and uh, it wasn't very popular. And it, but it it's obviously not available on Blu-ray in 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 England, and it's not available probably to stream either. So yes, uh, yes, the DVD was the only way to see that film. That is uh, an amazing film. I love that film so much, and I mean, I just did. A, I called it my Lee Chang Dongathon um, earlier this year, where I just went through all of his films, and I mean, they're all astonishing. But when you watch them back to back, one after another, you know, night to night, I was a wreck by the end of it. You know, yeah, I was just going to say that. How, how, over how many days did you did you watch them? I was like, what seven films, seven days, something like that. It was, it was intense. That's yeah, that's. Man. I mean, I, I love Lee Chang Dong, but like, I I couldn't do that. Like, that's that's too depressing. <laughs> Some of them, mate, like Oasis, uh, Peppermint Candy, um, and I'm completely blanking on the name of it. But the one, the Secret Sunshine, one, Secret Sunshine. Yeah, all three of those just gutted me out but in the best way i love it and i'll, I'll probably do it again you know <laughs> Just <re-watch them> all. <laughs> i mean they are phenomenal films and i'm i'm so surprised and disappointed that when i released oasis and peppermint candy they weren't they didn't take off i mean I, it was very hard to get them in cinemas and then they just weren't that big sellers and nowadays everyone's saying you should release peppermint candy and, and oasis on on blu-ray and and even people that forget that I released them in the first place is telling me you should release these great films. And I was like, wow. yeah, I did. You know, you just didn't know of Lee Chang Dong before he started, you know, winning uh, Academy Awards and all that. So, And they're out of print now as well, I would assume, right? Very, very much so. And the right, I let the rights lapse because they just like, uh, they just weren't selling. And uh, mm. yeah, they're out of print. And, and they're also titles that obviously I'm sure you can, you can pirate them. Uh, they're available pirated. But in terms of legally watchable, they're not they're not easy to come across especially in in england and maybe even some other countries so that's, that's physical a, format such bad luck isn't it just being a bit ahead of your time and yeah tell me i mean there's a many many t- films that i've released on the rights of laps and then they've become uh massive hits, massive hits. so yeah it's, it's always my, my luck uh unbelievable well look i mean i guess in terms of what the third window podcast is going to be over time um we've done a bit of it already but I, I i foresee it as being like stories from the industry you know stuff that you can tell us i know that you have some really interesting stories behind like the fact that uh the Takeshi katano um films that you've released um there's a story behind that which uh i don't know if you want to sizzle that a bit but well, it has to do with Gareth Evans, so it does. Yeah. Sort of, we, we just sort of mentioned him, and it, and it did a bit of a, of a 360, uh, but we can go into that at, an, at another talk time. Exactly. You've got um, some really interesting adventures with uh, Sion Sono that I know people will be very excited to hear. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, very much. Uh, a lot of a lot of stories with him, and, and I'm sure I'll, I'll even have more by the time we do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, You've worked a hell of a lot with one of my personal heroes, and I think is a legend in the industry, which is uh, Shinya Sukamoto. Um, yeah, he's he's uh, really I respect him more than more than any other Japanese director. So I, we can oh, talk. I, I'm looking forward to talk about that uh, myself. Yeah, and I mean another side of it that I want is if you know I know it's quite hard with the language barrier sometimes, but if we could ever get anyone um, in terms of an interview. Um, that would be incredible, and I don't know if uh, Sukamoto is one that <laughs> is open to that. But if if he's, it, it all depends on how he gets very focused uh, when he's, for example, making a movie, he just like doesn't want to do anything else. Uh, but uh, we, we we do email quite often, uh, so 
we never we never know i mean i think yes we should also do it i'm hope we can do a little like video spin off like 10 minutes uh you know accompanying podcast in which for example i'll, I'll meet uh, toyota next week and, and i'll record something so hopefully it'll go out at the same time that this does perfect that's so cool but yeah so we want to do like spotlights on directors we can do some retrospectives um yeah just like a general celebration of east asian cinema right that's the idea so yeah and well, it's also here... it's also oh. quite a if i just want to say myself you know this is something that also you know i forget about a lot of the things that i that i've i've done in the past and a lot of films to, to be honest because i'm i'm focusing on something uh this new film or the next release or producing this or that and i do sometimes forget about the films that i've done like we're just talking about the lee chang dong films and i think because you're watching them recently uh and and they are maybe things that i've done many years in the past and it's it makes me very very you know passionate again to uh to read to talk about and it's sort of looking back into that that in into uh history myself so i i do uh yes i'm very much looking forward to those things i love it this will be like uh a, a digital box of memories for you you can re-listen to them when you're old and gray and be like oh i remember now <laughs> awesome well like what i was going to say was um we're here today it's our first ever episode and it's coincided with your latest release, which is um, the later years, or you've called it 2005 to 2021, um, of Toshiaki Toyoda, who um, I genuinely think there's no better director we could have for our first ever episode, right? Because he kind of epitomizes everything that you do in terms of working with underappreciated or maybe underseen directors and helping them get their films out to the wider world. Yeah, and also I think actually... One of the companies that introduced me to Toshiaki Toyoda was Rapid Eye Movies. And right. it sort of brings back to the, the reason why, one of the reasons why I started Third Window Films was because of this fantastic German company that I have worked with to produce films in the, in, recently as well. And they were a distribution company that are based in Germany and started distributing a lot of sort of Asia, not just extreme titles, but but minor titles in Germany. And sometimes in the case of Porno Star, which they released, I think they were the only company, the first company to release it uh, in the West with English subtitles. So, right. you know, my the reason one of the reasons why I got into distribution is because of them, who were one of the people that put me onto to Toshiaki Toyota themselves. Uh, I'm pretty sure Porno Star was the first film that I, I saw of his, it might've been blue spring, but um, it's, it's a very long time ago. Um, but uh, wasn't that initially yeah. called, it was called Tokyo rampage, wasn't it? When it first came out, that was only in America, in America, they called ah. it Tokyo because the film's title is porno star. And um, right. in America, when, when it was released, it was called Tokyo rampage. And, and I believe the German, I was looking for it. Well, before we started talking today, like I know <laughs> somewhere I've got the, the rapid eye movies release. And I thought I'd look, I'd look on the internet for it, but nothing came up. So, I'm pretty sure that the, the original German release was Porno Star. Amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I love that film. So, yeah, so that was the the DVD or the sorry, the Blu-ray. I've got to stop saying that, um, that you and I kind of connected on because I remember I'd, I'd bought it off Amazon um, and I was watching them after seeing Blue Spring and I was I was tweeting about them. And you said, wow, like we, we printed 2000 copies of this box set it completely stagnated at a certain point. I can't remember where. 
and you said now now we're selling the last few and they started leaving your shelves and I was like holy shit like that's amazing I just thought that was really cool yeah, no, I really have to have to thank you because like I also said, when I like any distributor actually, when we release a film, we put a lot of attention on it on the initial the first few times because then we're moving on to, to other films. And obviously myself, I'm always moving on to finding new films to work on. And yes, Tosi Toyoka had really the box set had stagnated. And it's hard to start to revisit titles to re-promote them because you initially promoted them in a certain way. And it's like it's like there's, it's not. It's not like there's new material out there or new reviews that have come up to use to promote it. You'd have to end up using the the initial promotional material, like the initial reviews. But if people like yourself start talking about them, then it sort of gets me back into it. And it's like, yeah, I've still got all these bloody. I only made two thousand of these things, and they're still lying about. So this is a really good springboard to also get me back into promoting the title. And yes, I think they just they just sold out uh, pretty much after uh, or a few weeks after you know you started writing about them. Which is awesome. I love that. But I mean, I've had people since going, oh my God, I'm going to get this. And I'm like, I don't think you can anymore. It's gone. <laughs> it's out. But I think as well that the pandemic has helped me in this sense, because I mean, I used to go to the cinema a lot. Like I'm talking at least once a week, potentially twice. And uh, yeah, I just haven't been able to do it because of lockdown and COVID and everything. So I've gone back to the well, which is my passion of East Asian cinema. And so, yeah, watching films at home has been the new you know, comfort blanket that I needed. Uh, so yeah, rediscovering old classics or or finding out new directors for the first time, you know, that's, that's kind of been what I've been doing. And that's where I came across Toyota. So yeah, I guess, I mean, I don't know if you want to start by talking about the first release you made of his, or if maybe you want to talk about, you know, him as uh, an auteur, because I know he's had quite an interesting life. Yeah, and I think also looking at the releases, and and it's funny, you know, when you 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 um mentioned the new box set is just simply called two thousand five to two thousand twenty one, while the first box set was called the early years. Yeah, two thousand twenty two thousand five to two thousand twenty one is not a very good box set title. I mean, it doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? It doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue. It it, and to be honest, you know, that's when we're talking about Toyota. There are so many parts of his life. I mean, it would it would be a lot simpler if it was somebody like Ishisogo who just changes his name. I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about Ishisogo in a in a later podcast because of yeah. some new releases of his that I've got planned. But you know, yes, uh, with Toyota, he it's like how do you separate it? Um, you could do the before he got arrested and after he got arrested, but then there's been these multiple arrests that have changed his <laughs> his his filmmaking styles as well. And then it's like, well, how do you? Is it just before this arrest or before like the drug years or, or the, the the gun years or something? Uh, and- wow, you're making him sound like a gangster. If someone doesn't know him <laughs> or know these stories, it sounds like he's this uh, crime lord. Yeah. He's, he's just unfortunate to be in uh, in Japan, <laughs> where yeah. they're very very strict about uh, about rules and uh, and yes. So uh, you know, I mean, maybe we could talk about the early years because that's before any sort of drug drug uh, charges. I mean, when you your first one that you saw of his was was Blue Spring, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, which is ironic because that wasn't part of your early years box set. That was just a standalone. Um... Release you did right? Yes, I mean the early years box. The reason why, and actually the reason why it's called the early years, was you know when you're licensing films, it can be very complicated, especially in these box sets, to license films from different companies and put them into one box, because mm. a lot of film licensing, 
um, you know, you either pay them an amount up front or you or that it has to do with royalties. But if you are dealing with royalties, it can be very hard to split royalties if it's just being sold as one box set, if there's like six films included in it. So the original box set of the early years was actually three films all handled by one company in Japan who initially released those three films as a box set in Japan called The Early Years uh, on DVD right. only. Okay. So I just sort of ported over Toshiaki Toyota The Early Years into from their DVD release with the same films to a Blu-ray release and released it as such. So it wasn't that complicated of, of a release. Uh, and that's why Blue Spring couldn't be put on it but when i released it everyone said why isn't blue spring on there and obviously i loved blue spring i think it's my favorite film of his so i separately got the rights to that and released it individually amazing because yeah i mean okay let's well even though you released the early years first let's talk about blue spring then because like you said it was the first film i saw his um i knew the kind of mystique about the film um it's it's based on a manga right um yes I haven't read the manga, but I know it's kind of uh, not an anthology, but it's a bunch of disparate stories, right? Different chapters of different boys, just like this disillusionment within this school and the kind of violence and uh, anti-establishment kind of mentality that like blossoms from that, essentially. Yeah, I mean, obviously, mangas are usually serials, so that they have lots of different stories connected around one main subject or one location, I guess, uh, in this case. Uh, which was, yes, the school. And and Toshiaki Toyota was also very young at the time that he made that film. So I think he was also quite connected to the... I mean, it's not like sometimes you get these like 60-year-olds making films about... I mean, it's actually in Japan, you get a lot of 60-year-olds making films about teenage girls. I mean, it's a really big, big thing. I mean, if you go back into <laughs> idol culture and all that. But, but in this case, we're talking about a director who was quite from a rough part of, of Osaka and mm-hmm. from a rough childhood but at the same time, very intelligent, uh, a, a person who from the age, I think it was about seven or eight, was a shogi, a chess prodigy of Japan, and mm. was a professional player of, of uh, shogi, which is chess. Uh, mm. You know, you, you I mean, whether or not you know the word or not, I'm sure in many movies, including The Matrix, you'll see this game of like, of, of uh, black and white round circles that are, that people play for for and it's a very very complex uh game with loads of different uh of way, ways to to win or lose so yeah you know he was a real master of that uh, as a child so he was a very very intelligent person and uh but also from a sort of uh very rough background yeah and i mean that comes across massively especially in his early work i mean obviously later as well but like there's so much kind of angst and anger about these intelligent young men that kind of feel directionless, I guess, would be the way you could point it. Um, but yeah, having just recently rewatched Blue Spring, I am still just just blown away by it. I mean, the the things that affect me the most are first off, um, the music. The way he yeah. uses music is different, I think, to any other director out there. And it's not like he makes music videos, but he uses music in a way that feels almost like it is a a promotion for the band almost you know um, yeah and especially in the in the later films it's more music uh um th- than the earlier ones but yes i think the his use of music especially and the way that he rhythmically rhythmically matches the music to the editing and to the what you obviously and what, what we see on screen at the end i mean it's 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 really one of the best directors out there for that yeah i completely agree 
and I mean, it also the, the the kind of music that he picks really speaks to me too. Because I I was born in the eighties, but I grew up in the nineties. You know, so like that that grunge and like that scuzzy like garage rock that was kind of my jam. And so hearing all like the Japanese versions, I've I've done the Spotify playlist now and got the Blue Spring one. It's just awesome. Uh, I just think it's amazing. Um, Conversely, I don't like the music, uh, but oh, I, really? I, as, for example, personally, for, um, not it's I don't like that music in in essence of of the way that he uses it. In fact, I like I've be- liked the music, or I've become to like the music that he uses in the films because of him. Yes, but and how it's he not uses something, it, and how he uses it. But I wouldn't like those music otherwise. Uh, different to you, I always go back. I, I was was born. I mean, we're we're about the same age, but, um, in our late thirties. Uh, mm-hmm. But I always listen to only sixties and seventies soul music and 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 and, uh, and disco, and also a bit of of uh, I do like punk uh, quite a lot. But uh, I never was into sort of the the music like the nineties uh, grunge stuff at all. And but, but watching his films actually made me me like like the music so i think that also is quite impactful the way that he's used them that's so cool yeah i know fair enough um i guess the only other thing to talk about with blue spring is that a lot of the um actors in it as well he used time and time again right this was like um yeah where he met a lot of young actors who he ended up just being really loyal to and using them throughout his career yeah i mean if you think uh matsuda Luhei, who's who's one of the the two leads of um of blue spring uh i mean he got his break with with gohato i mean his father and and mother are very very famous in japan i mean like 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 it is uh unfortunately in japan Uh, but um but his um the way that he yes molded him and the way that also his uh matsuda yuhei's acting style which is quite sort of expressionless face but also sort of Expressing a lot without really showing it. Uh, it's yeah. not a very Japanese uh, style, actually. Japanese tend to overact. But I think the two of them sort of work like in tandem, in essence. And Matsuri Luhei himself really loves Toyota and always wants to be connected to Toyota, like almost like a sort of a, a father figure, in essence, even though they're, they're, they're not too different age-wise. I mean, maybe 10, 15 years uh, is all that separates them. But um, I think Matsuri Luhei, I mean, if you watch any of the uh the um interviews that he does or or anything that are are on these discs as that you see them he really it's he it's the way that he speaks to Toto is like like a big brother or a father yeah. like he just really loves him yeah absolutely and i completely agree it's so interesting that you put it that way where he is quite stoic and uh expressionless in his face but he is saying so much and um i really i put in my tweet when i did it watched it the other day i was like he is so flipping good in this film and uh, I can I can see how it it developed into what he became later because he's a huge name now, right? He's a huge. I mean, obviously, he, because his fa- his family were, were big, he he had that path. But at the same time, I think he's not really into obviously nowadays things like social media and all that. So he's a he's an actor, and I think being an actor is a bit of a you know in japan television is what makes you a big name and and you it's really hard to to be a proper actor as we know it and be on television in japan because television in japan requires not requires but it's just full of people that can't act i mean they're they're they overact because uh 
that's just the way that it, it is. I mean, it's a bit old-fashioned uh, Japanese television, and, and you have to be on television to be popular. But Toshiaki Toyota likes proper actors, and he likes people that have uh, an atmosphere to them. I mean, if you him himself, he just oozes a sort of atmosphere, and including people like Kyuhiko Shibukawa, who's in all of Toyota's films, um, who's who whose break was given in the film Porno Star was the first film that, that Kyuhiko Shibukawa was an as an actor, mm. and he's also in Blue Spring for a very short short bit. But um, like he's got an atmosphere about him that that has that is something that just like Matsuru Yuhei, like acting without really showing it. Um, they're 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 they they always you always have these 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 people with with Toshiaki Toda, um, these these sort of like very atmospheric actors uh he's very good about um picking those people yeah absolutely i mean uh you even put him in one of your films didn't he um low life love you put him as the lead yes uh he's he uh, put him as the lead and and also he he played drums for the the song that was made for the film as well because he's a drummer he was He's a cool guy. I mean, he's he's a really nice guy and and a and a, and a good actor and a, and also a, a fantastic person. So, yeah, I love I love him and Toyota loves him as well. I saw him uh, an interview with him at the uh, Nippon Connection in um, in Germany this year, and he looked like he was having a blast. I think he was quite drunk. Was that the the interview with him and Toyota? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was I was on the other side of the camera actually. So if you, <laughs> because we we were recording the audio commentary to Hanging Garden, and oh. and I had rented a room, and Nippon Connection was at the same time, and they they wanted to do a um of of a director talk with Toshiaki Toyoda, yeah. and we invited Key uh, Key is his, his nickname. Uh, he used to be a model called called Key. Um, actually, <laughs> in Porno Star, his name is on the credits as Key. Right, K-E-E okay. in, in English, um, but his he changed his name to uh, Shibukawa, which is the place that he is, his hometown in, in uh, Gunma. Nice. Um, and Kiyohiko is his first name, uh, yeah, really. So, um, yes, uh, yes he, we invited him to come and have a drink. And then he, we sort of made that, 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 that director's talk uh, when we were all a bit pissed. And you might see my, my nose or, or, or a bit <laughs> my, come into the corner of the screen a few times because I also had a few drinks. <laughs> I love that. See, yeah, with, that looks like this was all set up, but yeah, I had no idea that was you. That was just something I saw and really enjoyed. <laughs> yes, yes. It was a bit chaotic, but it, uh, it did work out in the end. I love it. Okay, uh, let's go back to the start then. Let's go back to Porno Star. <laughs> yes. Porno Star. Uh, this film is astonishing. Like, I, I've seen it now three times, and I just, I love it more every time. And I think the main reason... And again, you, you you might know more from behind the scenes, but the main reason is it feels like uh, like a guerrilla film, like something that was done, you know, off the cuff. Uh, you're filming on the uh, Osaka sh- uh, streets. Um, uh, Tokyo, Tokyo streets, sir. It's Shibuya. Of course, it's Shibuya. Sorry, Shibuya. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, it just seemed really dangerous and really kind of raw, and like the energy is insane and. Yeah, I just I just love it to bits. I I really do. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and it is very guerrilla. I mean, in all aspects, uh, in that in that respect, because yes, you can't shoot in Shibuya easily. I mean, it's one of the one of the busiest mm. busiest places in the world. And and as we all know from the the Shibuya Crossing video, that everyone, I mean, nowadays actually they've rebuilt Shibuya Crossing in um 
where is it just outside of Tokyo because it's almost it's impossible to shoot on Shibuya Crossing nowadays uh, because oh, it's just too okay. So all the films that you see that have a budget nowadays are actually shot on a Shibuya Crossing uh, uh, set that has been built outside of Tokyo. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that Shibuya Crossing is yeah, it's 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 very iconic nowadays. But this was you know twenty something years ago and and shot very guerrilla around Shibuya and. Um, you know, in the dirty Shibuya is a very dirty and uh, and especially places like Dogenzaka, which is sort of like a, the upper part of Shibuya. It's about um, five ten minutes walk from the station. It's all just full of love hotels and um, it's the seedier parts of, of Tokyo. Hence the name Porno Star. I mean, it's uh, it's dealing with the sort of the the the, the seedy part of, yeah. of of Japan. Well, there's loads of I mean, there's loads of interior scenes as well, which you can tell that I mean, they don't look like sets, you know, there's like grimy toilets in clubs. And there's like the um, the kind of gang uh, HQ, the hideout they have, which just looks it's all like filled with lava lamps and like the carpets <laughs> all burnt with, you know, cigarette burns and everything. And they're just like smoking weed in hot tubs with tomatoes and all these like topless <laughs> women and stuff. Yeah. So it's all really grimy and seedy. Um but yeah, I just I think when was that released? In fact, was that was that uh, late nineties, early yeah, 2000? 1998, 99, You know, right. around around that time. Uh, yeah, late nineties. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't remember the exact release date, but it was yeah, it was ninety eight, ninety nine. So because it is it's such, years ago. It's it's like it's hard to explain it as well in terms of like the genre. I know that comes a lot, especially in Japanese cinema where they're not really defined by genres because they can just be anything. They can be horrifying and funny and, you know, dramatic and like politically charged and all this sort of stuff all in one. But um, yeah, it's kind of like a crime film, but it's like also like a coming of age film. Like there's this really random, but just inadvertently just brilliant skateboarding scene out of nowhere (laughs) that I just, Every time I've seen the film, I'm like, this doesn't really make sense or fit in with what's going on. But it might be my favorite bit in the film, you know. It- well, there's not much of a story when you when you think about it. I mean, uh, it's it's a very very simple film, uh, and and I think it's told with these brilliant mixes of of atmosphere using the city and the seediness of the city and the location as a character in the film, and yeah. it's how this sort of like. Uh, this this lost kid, like you said, a coming of age, and also going. I mean, you have these sort of like taxi driver type films. Uh, in in yeah. essence, I mean, it's going against uh, what what he thinks as as the bad people, but 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 in a bad way. I mean, you're you're being a bad person by by going after the bad people, but you think it's right. Yeah, uh, it's well, quite he, classic he, in that. He goes for this guy thinking he's uh, Yakuza and he's like, I'm not Yakuza. I just, you know, I have to work with them more. Like I bump into them a lot because I run one of these clubs and he's like, oh, you're not Yakuza. Okay, then I, I won't kill you. And you realize like, oh, shit, this guy is on just a, a vigilante mission against Yakuza. But there's, I mean, there's this one scene that, you know, everybody knows it. If you've seen the film, you, you can't forget it where um, Alano is sitting on the on the ground and it just starts raining these switchblades. And that is the scene where he then goes into the car park. And to this day, I still think it is the most, uh, I guess, astonishingly shot stabbing sequence I've ever seen. I still don't know how they did it. I genuinely don't. It, it, not just that, is that, that he stabbed him a few times, actually, because they they actually put, obviously, you it, it's done in, in uh, without the use of CGI. You know, yeah, it's like, all in camera, a, right? 
yes, yeah. and it's it's all done. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's quite a long long take, but they put padding in in the shirt so that he could it, it, under his shirt so he could stab him. But apparently, he went through the padding quite quite many times and actually stabbed stabbed the actor. So um. You know, it's what? it's phenomenal. That <laughs> you can't, can't do... be. That can't be how it was done because I was well, watching. Not, not going... deeply. He did not deeply. No, 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 no. <laughs> He's still alive. But no, it, what, he didn't look like he had much padding on. I mean, you can see there's a little bit, and I. And that's I was... why he got stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like he's putting the knife in and then it's staying in there sometimes and then sometimes knives are falling out but I, I i count it i lost count i think it's like he stabbed him like something like 115 times or something is uh, it that many it's ridiculous it goes wow. on and on and on and it's not with one knife it's like with 10 knives so he keeps putting more and more in and uh and yeah i forget what the actor's name is but he's not really reacting to the stabbing until the end where he just starts screaming and yeah, every time I see it, I, again, I'm just left just floored by it. And yeah, it's um, it's part of the reason why I love Toyota so much is that he has a lot to say with his films. But more than that, he's just a really clever and interesting filmmaker, like stylistically, the stuff he does. I think, you know, he. I don't think there's a single film he's done where there hasn't been at least one scene that's just going to be with me forever, you know? And a lot of those scenes, like like the like the scene right that we're talking about, there there are scenes that, and porno star itself because it's so so gorilla so shot a gorilla. I mean, those are a lot of scenes you could only shoot once because you can't just go and have a retake in the middle of Shibuya. I mean, uh, yeah. I think and obviously that that knife scene. I mean, you can't do that sort of thing many times. It's 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 a very complicated setup. And a lot and for example, the blue spring, the final the final scene where he's running up the stairs, and and they actually. The way that they set up that scene, I mean, um, they they had to build this huge set to to move this to move the stairs so that they could run up properly. But these are all scenes that are so well composed by him mm-hmm. as a director and using actors that that he understands and they understand him so well that these scenes can be done in in one one shot. I mean, the most the best example is is as we'll we'll talk later is Hanging Garden, the yeah, final uh, scene in Hanging Garden. You can only shoot that once because it's such a complicated scene to shoot. So, yeah. you know, it's not like a bloody Stanley Kubrick or or I mean, you obviously you don't have the money to shoot these things a million times over, but being able to to get that emotion in one take with those actors, it's it, it's really a testament to to his skill as a director. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it would be a lot of pressure on the actors as well. But yeah, it just, I guess, pushes them to do their best work. And yeah, which is what he gets out of them a lot. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the final scene for Blue Spring, I mean, going back to Blue Spring, is literally probably one of my favorite scenes of all time. And every single time I watch it, it gives me goosebumps every time. Yeah, I completely agree. (laughs) Okay, well, so going from Porno Star to something very different, um, which is Unchain. Um, and I've only just watched this for the first time recently, and uh, I, it was not what I was expecting at all. I think the way I was pitched it or the way that I kind of um, processed it in my head was that it was uh, a film about a boxer who never won a fight and kind of was down on his luck, and he tried to become you know, a part of society after all this bad luck. But really, it's it's about a group of guys who were all in the boxing game who really all were, you know, 
I guess, on the shitty side of life, to be honest. And it's how they only kind of got through life because of their bond together and their loyalty to each other and how they kind of, you know, they look out for each other and they keep having each other's back, even though there's all this crazy shit going on. Yeah, and I think I I remember seeing a a comment when you posted about it. Somebody wrote replied on twitter like i don't really like boxing films and yes <laughs> yeah. you know it's yeah. it's not a boxing film i mean yes it looks like it could be a boxing documentary but it's yes it's about it's about you know I, I, there's a there's a place in osaka i mean uh, um Toda's from osaka and osaka is a bit more of a rough but also a bit more of an emotional place uh people are maybe it's a sort of manchester london type thing like a north and south right. is, is the way that it's i mean in fact to the point where actually people walk on other side of of the um escalator in, in to tokyo it's 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 sort of ah. on purpose like if you go to osaka <laughs> yourself you have to walk on the other side of the of the escalator it means you have to stand on the other side well walk yeah stand. but um it's it's a very anti-tokyo i mean tokyo people are a bit too cold um and Osaka people are a lot warmer and uh, emotional. So that Osaka life, and especially within Osaka, the very, very, very working class part of, of Osaka, a place called Nishinari, which is probably, the, you never, when people look at Japan and they see it very clean and organized and very high tech and people are very polite and it's, you know, this is the place that you never really hear about. It's a very rundown, very, very rough. I mean, you see people shooting up in the streets even nowadays. And it's like um, there's a lot of prostitution, a lot of gangs and drugs. But also, you know, you, you do get that sense of like uh, camaraderie between people in the working class. And I right. think that film really shows that aspect and those people, uh, that, that, that town as a character and the people from that town. So it, it's... Whether you're interested in boxing or not, if you want to know about Japan, I think it's also a really good documentary to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I knew that from like 15, 20 minutes in, I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be at all. And I thought it was really interesting. So first and foremost, you know, him, he has done other documentaries since, right? But they haven't been released. Like He did one called The Planetist. Planetist, yes, it's, it's a I wanted to include it in the in the new set, but it was also a bit of a complicated thing, which we can go into because it also has to do with drugs and all that sort of stuff. That right. <laughs> so when we talk about drugs, we can go into that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, just just but, seeing his style as a documentarian was interesting to me because he tells a lot of it through montage of photos they've taken. Because obviously, this was made again, like what in the nineties, I guess, in the late nineties. Yes. Um, so yeah, like, and and he he clearly has a good relationship with these guys because they're talking very frankly and honest to him, and sometimes that he even has scenes that he kind of recreates, um, you know, um, with actors and stuff just because he's like, I'm not even sure if this story is real, and we kind of have to like. <laughs> uh, so it's a really interesting way of doing things, but yeah, I I don't know the exact time frame, but it seems like he's with them for years because a lot of stuff happens, right? And I mean, yeah, I mean, it was it was he started shooting it before Porno Star and it was released after Porno Star. So it did take right. uh, a few years to make. And he was, yeah, it was he would have been. I can't I can't I should have probably researched his age at the time, but it would have been like probably late 20s or something that he did that. Uh, and if you think about it, making a connection with people and filming them, I mean, the, the trust also that is required on both parts is, is, is very important to, to capture people's lives like that, uh, especially in a place like that. So it does really just show his personal side as well as his ability as a director with, with a, with a documentary. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, it's, it's an, 
a bit upsetting because obviously you've sold out of the box set now. And I know that you are uh, re-releasing um, Porno Star and Nine Souls as standalones, but you're not doing Unchained. And so I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's harder for people to find this one, but I really think it's worth seeking out if they can. Well, actually, I mean, the reason why I re-released, I'm re-releasing Porno Star and Nine Souls is because you brought it up. And, and, <laughs> and I think because you said, well, you should re-release them. And I hadn't really thought about it because I, I sort of wanted the box set to be limited in, in, a, in, a, in a way that maybe I was a bit thinking too much like people who bought the box said and if the same discs were released individually like they would be mad and and i thought right. uh you know i don't want to piss off anybody but then at the same time you know it was only 2000 pressed and uh it still is a limited edition very nice box set in itself so releasing the disc separately would 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 help people who, who weren't Find able to buy the box yes yeah. yeah, so. but with unchained i just thought, don't think i mean it it's probably the lo- the least sellable title of the three. Hundred percent, yeah, definitely. And like you said, some people will be like, "I don't like documentaries." Some people will be like, "I don't like boxing films." Yeah. Other people will be like, "I don't know who this director is or who the subject is." Yeah, <laughs> even I, harder to to sell to them. But uh, but it will exactly. be available on. Uh, I'm putting all of these titles on Arrow Player um, from November. Uh, the all of the ones that I've released on Blu-ray, with the exception of. I'm Flash and Monsters Club will go in our play on the UK, but in the US, six of them will go on there, including Unchain and, and Porno Star and Blue Six. So it will be available to watch for streamers out there that don't want to buy a disc for a title that they're uh, they, they they they're not really um, sure about. That's amazing. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Unchain, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a really interesting watch and. Yeah, like I said, it's really kind of like, it's quite bleak. And like, you see a lot of hardship over the space of like an hour and a half. But then it's it's kind of inspiring at the end, isn't it? I, I was I was left like heart warmed. So yeah, it's definitely <laughs> yeah. worth seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it is good. So yes, yeah, so I'm glad you felt that way. <laughs> You're laughing at me. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> well, uh, okay, well, let's go on then to the last, the last disc in the set, which is my so far my my personal favorite toyota film and that's nine souls um and yeah this was released just a year after blue spring right so um i don't know if he was uh like exactly a household name at that point but i mean blue spring was well received so he probably had kind of big shoes to fill and uh blue spring was was a big sorry blue spring was a big hit in japan actually um and it was a critical, and uh, it wasn't economical. It made, made money as well, and and it was it, it did well overseas. And Nine Souls was actually released um, in the UK by Arts and Magic, and in the US as well on DVD. Uh, so it was a popularish. It was released. I mean, uh, to say yeah, that. yeah, sure. But I mean, so if you think about, so we, Porno Star is essentially about uh, two two young men, um, violent young men, and their kind of, you know, doomed relationship when they meet. And then Blue Spring is about a bunch of uh, youths who are extremely disillusioned um, and have turned to violence. Nine Souls is, I mean, there's Jun Kunimura in the start that kind of makes it Ten Souls, and I'm almost disappointed that he wasn't along for the whole ride. But yeah, you just have these nine guys who escape from prison and uh, I wouldn't even say it's a redemption story. It's just about kind of um, trying to find yourself 
you, you know, uh, after, you know, wherever life has taken you, good or bad, you know, it's never too late to find yourself. And um, I just thought it was a really interesting change of pace for him. And the fact that he could juggle or plate spin nine different characters and make them all feel unique, you know, they all have their own strengths and weaknesses and personalities, and they all shine through. And again, all of the actors do this these amazing jobs with it. Um, again, sorry, I'm just going to gush about it. But um, I've, again, I've seen it three times now, and every single time I'm like, yep, that's a masterpiece as well. Holy shit. You know, you make me want to rewatch it actually because I haven't seen it for a few years myself. And uh, rewatch it, man! It's so good. I do. I mean, I I loved it when it came out, and 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 yes, I I, I rewatched it when I re released it, but that was still a few years ago. And yeah, I I do want to watch it again myself now. I mean, it, yeah, it is a, it is exactly as as you've said. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 way that each character has that their amazing backstories, and it's so so interesting. Just the concept of like nine people who who escape from prison together and how we we see each of their lives before and after it's it's yeah it's it's a really interesting film that is played by fantastic actors and it's got a good rhythm about it and it has uh it's it's uh itsuji um yes. who's a very very famous comedian actually and i just love the fact that he's wearing a dead kennedy shirt <laughs> yes yeah which he swaps for his uh yeah he he makes up a story about i forget what the story is he makes up but he basically says that his prison jumpsuit was worn by some punk like god (laughs) so he swaps it with these bikers but yeah i mean the other thing i love about the film is it starts off you know quite comedic you know there's there's these really kind of ridiculous scenes like one where they've just escaped from prison and some of them have been in there for you know over a decade and the first thing they do is they pull over and they try and have sex with a sheep <laughs> because they're, they're just so horny. And, you know, so there's the whole pratfall situation of three of the guys trying to hold the sheep still while the other one, you know, is getting his penis out. But then, like, he realizes just before he's about to have sex with it that it's a male sheep. And he's like, is that is that weird? It's like, no, let's just do it. Anyway, oh. So it's ridiculous. But then, you know, anything kind of post the... the um, I want to call it a strip club, but you remember they come across that that club in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I, is that Hirota Leona? I want to say so, but I, I have to remember. But yes, it's very it's beautiful, actually. Uh, Amazing. Uh, but everything scene. past that scene, it, it gets so much darker. And again, it's more like, you know, how these guys, no matter how hard they try, they can't kind of catch a grip on their life again. It's almost like this hopeless, you know, it's almost hopeless trying. And that is what I love about him is that sometimes he's saying, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, sorry, I'm losing my head a bit, is he's like super nihilistic and kind of like angry at the world. But his films, for some reason, give me this like hope and, and joy. And like, I always kind of leave them kind of heartwarmed and hopeful for the future. So yeah, I, <laughs> It's a complex kind of game he plays, and I'm not sure even sure if that was his his mission, but it's, it it works on me. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's really really fantastic, especially those, those those first few films. Uh, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, I mean, I think if if you're too nihilistic, it can be a bit depressing to watch. But he does make them, yeah, not just hopeful, but also yeah, entertaining. I mean, yeah. uh, they're entertaining films. They're, they're and that mix of of uh, of comedy. Uh, and, and drama and and even doses of action. I mean, it does, yeah, makes them very easy to watch. That's very important, I think, uh, because nobody wants to watch uh, 
as much as I think Li Chang Dong is an amazing director, like sometimes it can be a bit depressing to, to watch films yeah. like that. Yeah, I definitely needed a hug after that uh, that marathon. But yeah, okay. So, I mean, we've been talking for nearly an hour. I love it because we've only just finished the first box set. Um, but yeah, so it's gone a bit long. If you haven't seen any of these films that we talked about, um, like Adam said, they're going to be available on the Arrow uh, channel from November. But also you're releasing uh, Porno Star and Nine Souls as individual Blu-rays. And Blue Spring is still in print, right? Yes. Uh, and Blue Spring will be on Arrow as well in the UK only. But um, yes, it's all region, so anybody can watch it. Amazing. So now we go on to the the big release, your brand new Toshiaki Toyota box set. And uh, yeah, I've had this one. You sent me a copy. I think I got my copy before you got yours, didn't you? You, you did. Uh, you sent me a photo. I said, can you take me a photo of it? Because I haven't seen what it looks like yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still pinch myself that I'm a part of all this. That like, yeah, I sometimes I'll message you about a film and then, you know, two or three days later, I'll get a knock on the door and the postman's giving it to me. I'm like, what? Why did you send me this? It's amazing. But yes, um, we have this new box set. And I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the the first film that you've included, which is Hanging Garden. Because technically, like you said, this is part of his early years. Because after this, a lot happened to him and everything changed. But um, well, it be, yeah, before his pre-arrest years. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But this was made, so it was made directly after Nine Souls, right? But then released like four years later or something stupid like that. It was re- re- made, yes, yeah, around 2004. Um, yes, it was supposed to have been released in, initially in 2005 as a big major release because uh, it's a, it, it, deals, it has some very big actors, including uh, Kyoko Kuizumi, who was uh, one of the biggest idols in, in Japan. And he convinced her to take on the role of a housewife, which no ex-idol would ever have done. But uh, she loved the screenplay and she loved uh, what he'd had done with his previous films and he made this uh, was able to make this pretty pretty decent budget around three million or, or three or four million which is a pretty decent budget uh, um, drama yes uh, in 2000 and it was supposed to be released on 2005 and then he got arrested for drug possession uh, just before the release which ended up cancelling the the major theatrical release for it until a very small cinema called Eurospace, uh, which is an independent cinema in Shibuya, which is where he shot uh, Porno Star, uh, ended up playing it. But uh, yeah, it, it uh, was a big, big financial loss, uh, unfortunately. just mortifying because, I mean, first and foremost, I just adore the film. And obviously, it's probably not a surprise to anyone. But I mean, this was his big chance, his big calling card. And then everything that happened is just awful. Poor guy. And especially over something as, you know, trivial, in my opinion, as smoking weed, which is like legal in half the half the globe now anyway, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's an East and West thing, you know. In in the East, uh, drugs are very, very shunned, and in the West we have a different mentality. And I mean, obviously this this was fifteen years ago, but still, I mean, drugs the the way of thinking about drugs have not has not changed in Japan. It's very, very zero tolerance. And I'm I'm talking zero tolerance like like 10 grams of marijuana can put you away for, for, for a while. I mean, it's mm. something that, I mean, I think more Westerners nowadays have, have learned about that, but the only thing that I can say is don't ever uh, bring drugs into Japan. Don't ever try to buy drugs and not even talk about drugs. And, and I remember once <laughs> my, my mother 
maybe I don't know if I should be saying this or not, but my mother, when she came to visit me in Japan, she was at the airport and she said, can you get us some weed? Because like they, they help her sleep. And I was like, don't you ever <laughs> talk about that? Like, <laughs> like in Japan, like you, it's not something that you can just freely talk about like you can in, in, in the West. I mean, like, wow, that is, that will destroy especially if you're a westerner and, and especially if if they if you're somebody like Toshiaki Toyoda who's on the outskirts of society and are, are a bit rebellious i mean these are people that the government don't really want to succeed and the government will be extra harsh on people that, to make an example of them like don't yeah. be a bad person i mean japan is all about making examples of people and in his case it was yes it was don't be a bad person making these sort of like films about violence and and uh, and and don't do drugs or, or your career's over sure but i mean so drugs in general are so far removed from this film just bringing it back to hanging garden mm. um i went into it expecting a a family drama and it was supposed to be a huge change of pace for uh, toyota and uh the way it started kind of alluded to that as well and I, I just fell in love from the opening shot which is it's a slow rotation around uh, it looks just like an image of the hanging gardens of babylon um but then as you get to around 30 seconds in it slowly zooms out and you're realizing you're focusing on a lampshade which is above a family the dining table and then you see the the mother of the family making breakfast and then all of the the family come out and sit down and start having this conversation, this very frank conversation about, you know, where did you have sex when you um, conceived me? And I was just like, holy shit. And again, so for starters, it, it wrong footed me because I was like, the shot was so beautiful. I didn't know what I was looking at. And it went, it, the whole scene went for about three or four minutes and it was a single take. But second off, then I was focusing on the conversation they were having and how frank it was. And just every single scene from that moment on had me transfixed. I was like, the way he shot it, the way he wrote it, and I don't even know if I want to spoil it for people because I'm not sure if many people will have seen this. It's not available outside of Japan until this box set. But the way the film ends, the final act is so dark. I was just like, just blown away, completely blown away. I messaged you straight away and I was like, mate, I just watched it and oh my God, I am in love. Yeah, I think especially that the camera work is is really a big point of 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 the film, and some of the especially the long takes that it has, but not just just steady camera long takes like that are quite often happen in, in Japanese films. The way that the camera is moving, and yeah. the, it's not just moving; it's sort of flying, or it's it's. Uh, there's so many interesting camera um, camera movements that apparently were, that are very complicated incredibly complicated and he was telling me that like the cameraman was really pissed off all the time because he was asking him to do these <laughs> incredibly complicated things because he really wanted to, to to do that but it's it's so it's beautiful and it's flowing i mean it's things that the, the camera movements would be done by cg nowadays in, in the same in the same way so the way that the camera is flowing around but it's yes it's it's dealing with these very taboo and very complex subjects but in a, in a very beautiful way so it's 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 the contrast between uh the the story and the, the way that it's it's done is is uh is fantastic uh it's a really yeah, brilliant film and, and it's a pity it's it was never really gotten out there and actually this was the sticking point of me making another toyota box set because 
after the I, w- I guess you could sort of say failure or the uh, of the first box set and the ability to s- to sell them i thought that early years have a lot more sellable titles i mean nine souls is quite well known overseas and so is porno star was, was released as tokyo rampage and it's their genre films in essence so they're more sellable but his more recent films have been a lot more experimental and they've been a lot more uh less story and less genre so i was as much as i wanted to support him i thought uh you know it's going to be really hard to release like just films like day of destruction or monsters club on a box mm. set no but but having hanging garden would be the thing that would make me change my mind and it was a it was very hard to get the film into the box set because it was owned by a very big company that was pissed off still at him for never making its money back on the film because of you know right because of his drug arrests and everything else. So it was a very complicated uh, situation. But I mean, I'm all totally worth it in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I, I obviously I don't want to tempt fate, but from the reaction that I've seen from people when I've just shared images or my experience with the box set is people are really excited for it. And I think his more experimental stuff actually has found its own audience that, you know, maybe haven't seen the earlier stuff. Yeah. I think I, I was surprised how, how well received day of destruction was uh through its on the internet a lot of people were really really glowing about it uh and i mean the other ones like monsters club is uh, i mean we're all still talking about films that haven't been properly released before uh uh so i think in any respect if they're really really people think they're going to be massive sellers and somebody's going to release them at some point but then again i think there are still enough people that are interested in those sort of films that that uh would be interested in the set but hanging garden is one that i think because hanging Garden was released with with english subtitles in japan actually on the on the japanese dvd oh wow okay i think that's how it got pirated and therefore that's how many people uh found out about it uh right uh interesting well yeah i mean i've only seen it the one time so far um so i'd be very wary of saying it's my favorite but i could tell i think this is the one that i'm going to go back to quite a lot over the next few years i'm sure it'll just keep growing with me because i was just blown away and like i said every single scene i was watching going oh there'll be a scene that's just basic in a minute but it wasn't every single scene had an interesting camera angle or an interesting movement or like you said that there was one where it was a shot from way high up of the family running to the bus and it's the daughter gets the bus first and then the son kind of you know slug and sluggishly kind of like waddles to the bus and then the dad comes running to the bus and he has to throw the trash away before he jumps on the bus and then the camera pans up and you're on the balcony uh of the hanging garden with erico the um the the matriarch of the family and then it it goes into a whole scene with her and i was like that's so complicated like if they had to do that more than once you know yeah it was just it was just brilliant and again like needlessly so he didn't have to do it that way he just made it harder for himself um, but I just love him for that, and yeah. And it's a and, pity what happened because you know he was gonna make bigger films with bigger budgets if if uh, he hadn't have got arrested and and uh, he was lined up to do like a ten million dollar film. Uh, so he could have done so much more and become and tried so many more camera angles if if there are any left uh, after he put everything all in with Hanging Garden. But yeah, it's it's really a pity that um what happened to him and and it really destroyed his his career and destroyed what could have been uh in essence sure 
Well, so from there, I guess we should go to, I mean, this one isn't included in the box set, um, but the next film he made was a film called The Blood of Rebirth, right? Yeah. And that was kind of his return after the drug arrest and everything that happened to him so publicly. Um, I don't know anything about that film. I haven't seen it. Like I said, it's not, it's not available. Um, so I don't know if you have anything you can say about that. Well, personally, I, I first saw it, um, yes, obviously the drug arrests ruined uh, his ability of working in commercial film. And it took, uh, it was a few years before he could even make a sort of independent film again, uh, which was Blood of Rebirth. And it's, when I first saw it myself, I saw it in Cannes, but in a market screening, like a, a screening only for buyers like myself, um, not mm. open to the public. And I was actually... Because maybe I had been a fan myself of Toyota up until then, as in his sort of um, very energetic, his very nihilistic, his also very quite entertaining films. Yeah. And when I first saw Blood of Rebirth, I didn't like it at all because it was very, it's very experimental. It's very artistic. It's, it's, it's very music related in the music that I'm not really that that much of a fan as as I as I mentioned um right it's basically loads of very long shots accompanied by music uh and maybe you know when I saw it I was a bit put off by it uh obviously I I maybe I haven't seen it in a long time but the reason why it's not in the set is not nothing to do with that the reason why is just that there wasn't the correct materials and right. you can only put so many films in a box set because it does get very, very expensive. And, and the set itself right now is expensive. And I couldn't bring it onto an extra disc. And I couldn't, I'd have to license that again from someone else and pay more and more money. So I had to draw the line and, and I drew with that. And then everyone on the, uh, on the internet, Emilio, why didn't you put that film in? But uh, <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do everything. And, and, you know, maybe in the future, if materials do get made, I could think about it. But I don't think materials will get made anytime soon because... The company that owns the rights uh, are not interested in in doing in making the correct materials. Uh, so, yeah. right now, fair yes. enough. No, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, it's interesting what you said there because it sounds like he started making an extended music video, essentially. Um, yeah, which is kind of what he started with, you know, using music in that sort of style. But then he just decided to take the story out of it and just go full on, just ambiguous. Yeah, I mean, it's like like you know with things like the more recent ones like day of destruction and wolf's calling it's it's like that but 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 more yeah but longer longer, <laughs> longer yes it's longer <laughs> which doesn't always mean better as we know um, i know some people really loved it because i remember like uh um at the time todd i think it was todd brown yes uh, i believe it was uh, at a uh, twitch which was like one of the big blogging sites uh of the time it's went on to be screen anarchy and, and todd brown went on to run xyz which is one of the big uh, producers of films like films like uh, Shion Sono's Prisoners of Ghostland yeah. but uh, he was raving about it and I was like nah 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 man so boring uh, but you know it depends I guess you know in your life uh, to everyone you know how, what you what what mood you're in at the time you watch the film how old you are uh, what experience you have with the director's other films and maybe it just wasn't the right time for me uh, maybe I watch it now and I'd love it but um yes we'll, interesting we'll, well like yeah so it sounds like I mean obviously Blood of Rebirth evokes quite a lot in just the title alone but then this was really was a guy who was like reborn as a new artist right he he had a certain style he kind of had this horrible you know personal life for a few years came back a different guy 
and all of his films since then i mean obviously we have kind of the the third and the the crows uh, ex- crows explode i think he did yeah and he did that uh, cry baby shotan but i mean all the films that you've released on this disc they're 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 different and if we go to monsters club next i mean that film in itself is just it's it's mental basically isn't it it's like it's like the unabomber story but set like on a snowy mountain well it's it's quite i think a lot of the films that that he did after um the drug arrests were very personal um first of all he always talks about it himself is that he's he's as you look at films like hanging garden and and he's a director that that's that um is very specific about what he wants and those things cost money mm. and he, you can only he can't make films with so much story and and so much uh complexity to them with no money and therefore you have these more sort of free and experimental films that deal with very simple subjects uh which is what happened uh with blood of rebirth and monsters club especially they're they're very small location and very simple films um but monsters club came from himself after the drug arrest, going to Okayama and and being in the mountains for a few years, uh, trying to find himself. And in essence, I mean, he didn't send bombs to people <laughs> like, uh, but I'm sure he wanted to. Uh, and, sure, and, yeah. And I think you know, it was he probably read a lot about the Unabomber and, and people who were cut away from society. And I'm sure he was very angry at at Japan and and at society. And he made. A film showing that it's quite an experimental uh film but it's also sort of bit a bit genre um in some respects but um with that film actually i brought him to england uh in uh around that time 2011 2012 for a film festival called the terracotta film festival which was yes is run by terracotta distribution who i'm sure we'll talk about uh afterwards or at, at some point and and yes uh, i brought him over and we screened that film uh um, it, at the Prince Charles Cinema, I believe uh, we did. Amazing! So. I love that place. <laughs> it's yeah, great cinema. But yeah, you're right. Um, it starts off with this really angry, uh, like diatribe on on you know Japanese society and how he wants to break it. But then yeah, the film kind of goes really nightmarish towards the towards the end, and it's it's amazing. It's really again beautifully shot, really well edited and paced and cuz again I think it's about 70 odd minutes. Yeah, it's very very short. Which is again like I love that. I mean as much as I love um yeah, it, I want a film to be as long as it needs to be. And I know with like Shinya Sukamoto, he he doesn't make films that are a minute longer than they need to be. And I kind of respect directors that do that, where you could have easily made this a 90 minute film by padding it out, but you, it doesn't need it. So anyway, yeah, it's it's really great. And I think it's going to be one that people find on this disc and, you know, vibe with a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's got its usual user actors, Eita and Yosuke Kubotska, like um, the people that are in all of his films. Uh, it's a very personal film. And, and actually the there's a monster that appears a few times in the films. And that monster is a person called Puperu, who is a transgender uh, um, artist that makes these very strange sort of um, body sculptures and, and very, very, very unique type of looks art. Like, uh, looks like paper mache almost, doesn't it? The, the, the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's she or he, he. It's she now. It's a she now, I believe. Um, yeah. 
uh, he she she makes these these uh, fantastic artworks and and actually there's a documentary about her called Pupuru, um which is done by a guy called Daishi Matsunaga who is a Japanese director who's relatively young he used to be an actor in, in films like Water Boys and he he made a um he became a director and he did films uh, uh Pieta in the Toilet oh i've heard of that which, which is a fantastic film he's made a new film called Pure Japanese which is out Next year, uh, to be honest, it's not very good, but uh, he, <laughs> he made a brilliant documentary about this Pupudu artist, which if you can locate, uh, yes, uh, it's a fantastic documentary and it, it will be a great, fantastic companion piece to Monsters Club. Amazing. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely seek that out. Um, you're going to have to help me out on the next one because I've, I've not actually gotten around to it yet, um, but it sounds really interesting. It's called I'm Flash. And that's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Flash is a uh, a film that he wanted to make after Monsters Club and after all these, uh, especially actually after March the 11th and the, and the earthquake and, and uh, you know, so much uh, t- trying times in Japan and trying times in his own life. He wanted to make a more entertaining film. Right. And he actually had the budget to make like a, quite a big action film. Okay. And I think the backers pulled out at the last minute and <laughs> the budget got slashed. And it's a sort of, so therefore, I think a lot of the action, I think a lot of the story also got slashed within that. And it's quite a concise, um, it comes from a song, uh, like like a lot of his, his it's music, uh, music related films. It comes from a song called I'm Flash. And right. it's sort of, so it's, a, it's another sort of, of these music and uh, visual type, type films of his uh, and with Matsuro Ryuhei who's the main actor from Blue Spring and also with a guy called Fujiwara um, Tetsuya Tetsuya? Fujiwara Tetsuya I'm, I'm sure I've one of the two <laughs> but um, <laughs> okay. he actually I don't like uh, I think he's an awful actor and because he <laughs> he overacts and he's he's comes from the stage background and he's a very very his family's famous and he's a very famous uh, stage actor who is also a massive, one of the biggest uh, names in Japanese cinema. And I can't stand him at all. Uh, but I asked, uh, this guy always wanted to work with with Toyota. And mm. it worked out that they did. And he's not as overacting as, as he, he usually <laughs> is. Uh, he reined it in, did he, for He reined it in, uh, not as much as I would have liked. But I think Toyota managed to, to get the best performance from this actor than you you'll ever see and it, it's it's a uh, yeah i mean it's a film that you you sort of want you wish that he could have had the budget that he wanted but it's it's an it's a short uh entertaining uh music uh flowing film like a very classic toyota style um said in okinawa looks brilliant and um yeah i mean it's not one of my f- favorite of, of his uh to be honest um but um yes it sounds fun though and like yeah i mean that's kind of what i want because i the... None of these films on this disc, I would say, are fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, sir. So, yeah, that'll be a nice little relief. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to catch it later this week. All right, cool. Well, so we could kind of talk about these last three together, I guess, because they are a, a trilogy. It's the, the Resurrection trilogy, really, isn't it? Yes, that that was a name that, that I came about with, actually. And then he said, oh, oh that's okay. a good idea. They were actually... The re- reason why I called it the Resurrection Trilogy is because they all have one s- same location, which is a a, um, um, a stairs going up to a mountain, and the the mountain is called Mount Resurrection Wolf. Yeah. So he was like, 
he actually hadn't envisioned them as a trilogy himself, but since this location is there, I said like, let's call it a trilogy, and he was like, well, let's it's the Mount Mount Resurrection Wolf trilogy. I said, no, you can't call it that; it's too long. So let's call it the, <laughs> the Resurrection trilogy, and then therefore it became as such. Hey, it works perfectly as well because again, it feels like this is a uh, this is a director that is resurrected now as well. So it has that other dichotomy of meaning. Well, it also has a, another arrest which led to these films, and this was the gun oh, arrest. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, please talk about that. That's that's another crazy story. Again, relates so, to drugs, though, right? Going back to the concept to Planetist, which was a documentary uh, that that he shot. So he after. When was it? Uh, maybe sometime I'm I'm after I'm Flash or, or I I I forget exactly to be honest. But um, he went was living on these islands uh, called the Bonin Islands, which are twenty four hours away by boat from Tokyo. And there's a boat that only goes once a week. It t- takes twenty four hours. There's no other way to get there. Right. But for some reason, these islands actually have a postcode of Shinagawa, which is. <laughs> uh, a, a district in Tokyo, so they're they're Tokyo, but they're bloody miles away. Right. Okay. And he moved there because it's like a beautiful, very beautiful island, but also because it's free to marijuana and drugs are quite uh, open on these islands, apparently. Sure. And he was living there. Your mum there. <laughs> I said, oh, it's 24 hours by boat, though. So uh, <laughs> if she doesn't mind to spend 24 hours to go on a boat there, then, then she can. Uh, it's a bit, bit too far for me. <laughs> but he, he spent years living there and making a documentary called Planetist, which is a fantastic uh, documentary, actually. And when he was about to release this documentary in Tokyo at Eurospace, which was the cinema that helped him... Uh, with Hanging Garden, and it's a, a really fantastic independent cinema in, in Shibuya. And before them, the guy who was the subject of this documentary, Planetist, um, got came to Japan, to mainland Japan, uh, away from these islands, and he got arrested for drugs. And when he was arrested, I think maybe to sort of get away from any police charges, he started bl- blurping out everyone's names. Right. Uh, you know, as as people do sometimes when they when they when the police uh, interrogate them, and sure. he said Toshiaki Toyoda has drugs, or I don't know what. Maybe that the police pushed him to to talk about Toshiaki Toyoda because they they he mentioned his name. I don't know the, the ins and outs for sure, but um, the police went to Toshiaki Toyoda's house to find drugs, and at the same time as the police do in Japan, when they want to make sure that they can convict somebody, they invite the media. And they prepare a pr- press release so that the media are at, are at your house and there's a press release already written before you're actually arrested. Which and, is insane. That does yeah. that is absolutely insane. It, it goes down to the system of Japan where where like you don't actually have to charge somebody when you arrest them. You can keep somebody in jail for three weeks and you build they build their case while they're there. So they have to have a case that's very strong before they actually charge. They don't actually charge as many people as they arrest in Japan. But it's why they have a 99% conviction rate in Japan, because when they do charge you, you are they want to make sure that it, it goes it's through. Airtight, so yeah. It's airtight. So they do that, obviously, in the, in the court of public opinion as well, and also to make sure that uh, people don't do bad things. Uh, so what they did is they brought the press to his house. They went in to arrest him for drugs, which they didn't find because he didn't have any. But then the police saw a gun, 
on his refrigerator. And they said, what's this gun? And he said, well, it's, it's an antique from my father from the war. You know, it's mm. obviously it doesn't work. You can see it doesn't work and you can see it's an antique. You know, it's this is not a use a gun that's it's in use. And they said, "Well, yes, but it's a gun." And and actually, apparently, when he was talking to them, they didn't really act like he was in the wrong or that they were going to charge him. Right. But I think because they already had the media there, they thought, "Well, we better just just arrest him yeah. anyway." So they they, they changed. Something. They needed something, and they they changed the press release, and they 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 took him into this uh, pre into their these sort of j- jails for th- for 3 weeks and um they they put him there and uh, and then the the public uh, opinion and the media obviously named him the gun director <laughs> kenju ken kantoku is, is is director in japan and kenju means gun so kenju kantoku wow. and he was blasted all over the television as as this gun director Wow, I mean that's quite a cool, cool name. <laughs> it is, a, yeah. it is a, a sort of cool name, but yes, it's not really something you want to be associated with when you're trying to be a professional. <laughs> no, and he must have, like, knowing you know what it did to his career the first time, he must have been absolutely livid. You know, this happened twice now. Yeah, and I, I think, but I think he because he experienced it, he knew what was happening, and and uh, you know he has he knows the system and i think he didn't want to let it take take ruin him mm. so at the same time he was asked by lots of media journalists and television shows to come on and tell his side of the story but he thought well i'm not going to be part of the system in that way and i'm just going to make a film about my side of the story and that became wolf's calling which is is a, a no dialogue very um m- music-based uh, film uh, about, uh, and a short film, only, only 17 minutes long, uh, about this situation. It's, it's, a, it's got yeah. a fantastic, uh, it was done completely without budget, uh, like, he, like zero, totally zero budget. Like just he may, uh, asked everyone, like, I can't pay you anything, but I want to make this short film. And obviously a lot of people, they did ask their agencies were saying, no, we can't have, you, have our, our talent. <laughs> Oh. Earthquake. Sorry, there's an earthquake happening right now. Earthquake. Oh my god. <laughs> earthquake. Oh, very big one. Earthquake. Oh, mate, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, used to it, but uh, I'm sorry, just uh, my, your phones, when there's a big earthquake, it says earthquake. and. Uh, I just and, literally uh, saw your whole your whole camera and everything just started shaking. Yeah, it's a big, big earthquake, but uh, I don't hear the baby waking up, so uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> Flipping egg. That's that was insane. <laughs> we can leave this on there if you like. I think uh, I'm leaving this in. That was amazing. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, that, um, how often does that happen? Just out of curiosity. This was quite a big one. I think it must have been about a six or something. Judging the way that um, the room is still shaking, so um, the big ones like that, maybe once every month or two once every two months maybe it's it's probably actually it's maybe something this big like a six or something like that maybe it's been three months or so but i mean little earthquakes i think you don't even notice them nowadays uh, actually um once wow. you've been living in japan for a while like if it's a four or a three i mean for that might sound quite big for you but um i think i've never experienced an earthquake in my entire life so i would be bricking it if i was there <laughs> well i i was when i when i first experienced my first one but uh you know I, Nowadays, you know, I think you just get used to it and you just uh, 
and make sure, sure. the television doesn't fall down. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, man. So, okay. So Wolf's Calling, um, this one was a, this purely about this gun arrest, really. Um, but the, the thing that I find most interesting about it is the, the music is by, and in fact, it's the, the film stars. The um, It's the 20-person punk band, isn't it? The Seppuku Pistols. Yeah, it's a fantastic name, isn't it? I mean, they're like they're, yeah, they're, they're the Six Pistols of Japanese, like classic, like like a dr- uh, taiko, like a drum drum uh, instrumentals. Uh, in, yeah, in, simply yes. Uh, it's so gnarly, and he uses them for all three of these films, doesn't he? And um, he gets amazing stuff out of them. Yeah, they're, they're he he became very close to the I think the people from from the group uh, share a very similar same uh, mentality as as him, and he's became like really really close with them and, and yes work with them uh for for the three films in, in the trilogy but less i think for day of destruction a bit less uh i think more for seppuku um yourselves obviously and and for wolf's calling yeah i remember seeing it as part of uh, japan cuts and um there was this uh director's note uh attached to it and it just said turn up the volume because he's <laughs> just like yeah you need to hear this film so whenever i watch I- it now i put my headphones on Actually, that's one thing uh, um, in regards to this. Uh, he didn't want to release these three films on Blu-ray or DVD, and he won't release them in Japan. He allowed me to release them because he 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 trusts what, what I'm doing and also because of the fact that there's probably less chance to see independent Japanese films in the cinemas in, in England. But these films were meant to be experienced in a cinema with the volume turned up, and that's what he wants and he as you said he wants people to watch these films with headphones on so uh uh, uh so that you can experience it as as with the sound is a very important part of it so yeah with with certain films you know especially ones like this that are only 15 17 minutes long or whatever you know um they are short films, but I think because this is a trilogy or like a thematic trilogy, they could just kind of be melded together and turned into a, an anthology and just make it one feature, you know? Yeah, and for all the film festival screenings that I've and requests that I've had of any of the films, if it's just some places just want to play Day of Destruction or, or just Seppuku or something, I've said like, no, you should just put all the three together and screen them back to back. And I guess for people that are watching the Blu-ray as well, it just should be best to watch in one sitting uh, the three films because, you know, it's it's 17 for, for Wolves, it's uh, 56 for Day of Destruction and just 26 for Seppuku. So they do come to under two hours back to back. And, you know, it's they do work exactly as, as, a, as, a, as a trilogy. Yeah, exactly. And again, if the first one is about his arrest, the second one is very much about uh the tokyo olympics right <laughs> i remember um because he, he crowdfunded the second one like you said there was no money for the first one but he crowdfunded the second and i remember uh seeing there was a quote that he put on the crowdfunding i forget what app he used but it basically said i want to create a movie that exercises tokyo of its possession by the specter of capitalism <laughs> yes a very direct message there <laughs> i love it i'm like yeah that's exactly what this film does but yeah uh but what, ha- what happened so, so going back to Eurospace, the cinema that, that always supported him was that they played Wolf's Calling there, and when he was playing it, he, the he he was speaking to the um the pro, the head of the cinema, 
And the head of the cinema was saying that next year on the day of the Olympics, they have no films to play because nobody wants to open a film on the day of the Olympics. So he said, look, keep that date free for me and I'm going to make a film to, <laughs> to be released on the day of the Olympics. Right, right, right. So obviously he didn't have much time because it was it was you know a year away but he had to raise the money to make the film which he did through crowdfunding and then film it edited it and score it in time to be done by the olympics and and he started making it this sort of anti-olympic film to appear to to be released on the day of the olympics and then obviously corona happened and he sort of it wasn't initially about a plague but um you know more like a a plague about yes as you said being being tokyo need to be the plague is the Olympics and capitalism, but it ended up being an actual a real plague. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so he sort of yeah. brought that, that concept of, of uh, the plague into, into the story. And he only finished the film two days before it actually, as a, as in completely finished film two days before it was supposed to be released. So it was, it was wow. essentially like going the old fashioned, like bringing the film from like the editing studios, like to the cinema, like, uh, like by hand, it was sort of like that. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Like life imitating art, imitating life. <laughs> it's a really interesting film. Um, again, I think I had a similar reaction to what you had to The Blood of Rebirth the first time I saw it because I was like, what is this? It was so ethereal. And um, yeah, I just, I, I really struggled. I think I saw it quite late at night and I was struggling to make sense of it all, but I've watched it again since. And it's just this really powerful piece of work. It has really amazing, there's an amazing lead role Um I, again, I, I forget who the guy is called, but uh, he's a uh, the lead singer in a punk band, isn't he? Um, uh yes, yes, the, the guy with the long hair. Um, yes, yeah, he's on uh, all the marketing. Yes, yes, I mean because it's it's Shibukawa Kihiko, who's uh, the other lead role. I, I thought when you went lead, you were talking about him, but it's uh, yes, uh, sorry, yeah. His name is it's it's like English, like um ah. I just forgot. It's yes, my my. So it's 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 English. Is his name like it's like a sort of stage name? But which, yes, I've I've completely just forgotten right now. But um, anyway, I'm sure. Anyway. Sorry, no, it's my fault. Yeah. I should have I should have looked it up before looking it up. Um, but yeah, again, it's a really interesting film. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. And then I think one of the key selling points, and at least from what I've seen on Twitter, is people want to see Go Seppuku yourselves because, uh, yeah. That's the, his, his latest film. It's only just come out in Japan, even right, and you're already releasing it on on Blu-ray. Yeah, and, I, and you know, it was a bit of I was a bit, uh, you know, I didn't. It was such a late edition, and I didn't really for the for his sake, I didn't want to put it in because once you put something on Blu-ray, it can't go to film festivals, and it sort of can it, obviously it'll get pirated immediately the moment a film is released uh, on on physical format it's the next day it's on the internet and right you know for such a new film that's still playing in cinemas i didn't really want that to 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 hurt any chances it might have but at the same time you know this blu-ray box set is not just for now but it's for keeping his name alive in in the future and if you're releasing two other films from the box set or from a trilogy then you should have the final part of the trilogy in there and I'd already set the release date, so I just, you know, explained that to him, and he was fine with it actually being put in there. But yes, it's it's it's, it's still playing in Japanese cinemas right now, and even though it is just a short film, but um, yeah, it's it will it's very 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 new. It's such an incredible piece of work. I absolutely love it. Um, it's this super intense monologue, essentially extended monologue that just grips you um, as a it's a wandering 
samurai basically getting accused of poisoning a well, right? Where, and he kind of blames it on this demon, um, which I guess, again, it's not hard stretch to understand that he's talking about the epidemic and, you know, COVID times, but it just ends in this bloodbath, like many of his films always do. But um, it's just, he captures more in about 15 minutes than I think most directors can in 90. And um, it's just an incredible way to finish this box set. And and, and uh, very, you know, he wants to make, especially these three films, uh, you know, from the trilogy is dealing with this time and this time only, are films that you could make only in this time. And that has to do obviously with, with Corona and uh, the COVID pandemic. So it's, it's yes, dealing with them in a different way than, 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 than some other films might be. But uh, yes, they're very, very political without being overtly political. Yeah. And like I said, like just beautifully shot, amazingly scored, uh, really interestingly acted and yeah, loads to say. So yeah, I mean, that that's basically that's basically all she wrote, right? I mean, he's got a few more, like I said, that haven't been released and we've already gone over an hour and a half, so we can't really go into them here, but hopefully in future he'll release another film that you'll be involved in and uh, maybe we can come back to it all, you know? Well, I just hope that the, the reason why putting out these box sets, especially with the risk involved, the financial risk, is that you know it does keep him motivated. It keeps people knowing about him because if you don't release things in physical formats, then people can forget and they can get lost. And I think keeping his name alive for younger people and for people to continue supporting him so that he can continue to make uh, new films because obviously you need money to make films and you also need an audience out there. And, and it's, it's very important to keep his name alive. I think. I completely agree. Could not agree more. Okay. So if you're listening to this now, uh, that means the box set is already out. It's been released. Um, so where should they get it, Adam? Where should they go to? The best place is Terracotta distribution, uh, who have an online shop that have all my titles, uh, they're very independent. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a, a distribution company run by a guy called Joey Lung, who's a fantastic uh, guy, and he's uh, been in the industry along with me for for a while promoting Asian cinema. He's really passionate about it, and it's him posting them out of his house in essence. I mean, it would be me <laughs> posting them out of my house if I was in London, but um, I've sent all the DVDs to his house, and he's doing it. So it supports him. It's and it's the best way to support me as well. And if if it's not there, then of course. Um, you know, or if you have other, if you're points on 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 Amazon or on on the Arrow site, then of course, uh, you know, wherever you'd like, um, it's up to you. Whatever you th- is best for you. Sure. Well, I'll put a link to Terracotta into the description of this podcast, so people can just get there via that link. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. I mean, I don't, I wasn't expecting us to talk for so long, but I think that's going to be quite common with us because <laughs> I love talking about it. You love talking about it. It's just going to happen. <laughs> But yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming up. So I guess the first thing I'll mention is we've got um, a copy of the new Toyota box set that actually has been signed by the man himself. Uh, so yeah, this is a, a very special item that we want to give away to someone, uh, one of our listeners. So for a chance to win that, just keep an eye on our social media channels. So you can find Adam over on Twitter at, at Third Window. I think you're also on Facebook as Third Window Films and on Instagram as well. Is that right? Yes, same. Just find it everywhere, all over. Um, and I'm on Twitter as Benji Box. That's Benji spelt with uh, Y and then Box, all one word. But yes, we will we'll be tweeting about this episode and uh, yeah, just how you can get your hands on that box set. 
But yeah, this was our first episode. And so we're going to start out by doing one episode a month of these. Um, as you can tell, we both have very young children and quite busy lives. And Adam just experienced an earthquake. So God knows, you know, <laughs> what will happen next. Um, but in general, what happens is third window films tend to release at least one new film uh, a month, one new release. Um, and so, yeah, what we'll try and do is coincide an episode of the podcast with that release. Um, so, for example, next month, we'll be uh, celebrating the release of Junta Yamaguchi's astonishing debut. It's Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which uh, I just caught at a film festival a few months ago. And it just it's hard to explain. It's a single take sci fi comedy with like time traveling and a load of wacky shenanigans. But, you know, if you're a fan of um, uh, One Cut of the Dead, you know, you're going to you're gonna love this film, right? It's amazing. Yeah, and I think it will be talked about, I mean, it is being talked about alongside One Cut of the Dead, and uh, it's it's another thing that, that's going to be massive in a few months for sure. So uh, I'm looking forward to talking about not just it, but One Cut of the Dead and, and uh, you know, Japanese no-budget, because they really are, I mean, no budget films uh, and i think it's it's really an interesting topic to look at and, and the success of those films uh not just in japan but worldwide is something that yeah it'll be a very good thing to talk about a hundred percent because i guess when you're making those films you, you you know you're making it for for the love and just hoping and praying it, it finds an audience and then it hits the festival circuit and then the buzz starts going and you know i'm so excited like i said for people to see this film because you know within the first 10 minutes that you're seeing something completely unique. And I know we said, like, it's like One Cut of the Dead. It's not. It's it's its own thing entirely. And I still don't know how they filmed half of it. It's utterly astonishing. Um, but, yeah, and then beyond that, so that will be November. And then in December, we have the um, uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi box set coming. So it's this, uh, you know, anti-war trilogy that yes, looks uh, stunning three, as well. Right. Three very long films, uh, and thank you very much for <laughs> for watching it uh, and going through the check discs. Because oh uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pleasure, man. It's an honor. Like you said, it was long. I remember I watched the whole film after my daughter went to bed and just loved it. And then I was like, I'm just going to watch the making of as well, just get it all done with. And I press play, and I was like, the making of's like an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, it's a film in itself. Which again, you know, well, that's that's quality. Uh, you know, that's what you get when you get a third window film. You get <laughs> you get content. Yeah, you, that you don't get that on on net Netflix, do you? So exactly. So that'll be December, and then we've got so much more planned for twenty twenty two. I don't know if you want to mention a couple of the releases you got planned, but yes, I mean, there's a uh, Tsukamoto Shinya's Hiroko the Goblin, and uh, which is the first release in January, and then we'll have films from uh, Ishisogo, and obviously. Um, the Funky Forest release that I'm sure we can have a lot of fun talking about. And I'm about to go and make some more extra features for that this week, because I know people have been uh, asking when is it going to get released. But uh, it'll be a very, very, very jam-packed release when it does get released. So uh, please, everyone, look forward to that. That's it. So again, that's, I mean, that's January, February, March covered. There's so much going on. So... Thank you for your time, Adam. That was so cool. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, to keep this going and, yeah, just to keep talking about these films with you. It's a blast. Yes, hopefully no earthquakes next time. Wow, yeah, that was scary, man. I wish I, I might try and um, create the video of you as a, a, a GIF because uh, I just literally saw you rocking. It looked like you were faking it, but it was a real... <laughs> it was a big one, thing. a very big one. 
we uh, make sure that your your wife and your son are okay and uh yeah we'll uh we'll catch you next month on the the third window podcast thank you two flights up by the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right <laughs>